ministry in the church can be life-giving and life-changing. And in the midst of it, we all need faithful companions along the road. Welcome to Along the Road, a podcast on faith and leadership for ministry leaders of the PCUSA. Hello, church people. And thank you for being with us once more in another episode of Along the Road Encounter. Uh, My co-host, Valerie Zumi, will be joining us on the next episode. Today with us is Teresa Wagoner, who is the immigration lawyer of the Mid-Council Ministries and the Office of the General Assembly. How are you, Teresa? I'm doing well. It's good to be here. That's great. So, Teresa, with the difficult situations that the church has encountered in the past uh, decades, uh, one of the rising ministries is immigrant ministry. Uh, and, and part of the work that you do or the work that you do is uh, supporting mid-councils in this way. Uh, do you support churches? What uh, Could you explain a little bit about how you cover all these bases? Sure, sure. So um, I assist on um, multiple levels in the church. Um, If a congregation wants to call um, a religious worker who is not um, going going to be serving in a role where one would expect that um, they would be ordained, um, so they're not going to become minister members of Presbytery, Um, For instance, if they're going to be a youth minister or um, a music minister, then I represent congregations in assisting to um, get that individual to the United States and in the proper status so that they can work and serve in that role. Um, I also do the same thing for mid-councils with their minister members, um, whether they're temporary or installed. Um, and those are typically, you know, pastors or associate pastors, um, church planters, evangelists, that sort of thing. Um, and so I become the attorney of record in those cases and represent um, the presbyteries. Um, I also serve the national church and help get um, the Yavs here from other countries and yeah. help the peacemakers get here um, and work with World Mission to make sure that that their um, mission co-workers um, mm-hmm. who are here on green cards can itinerate in and out of the United States without um, causing any problems with their status. Wow, that is definitely a big <laughs> a big task uh, that yeah. you have and in the legal department. Besides this, and this is a question that Valerie asks our guests, um, who are you outside <laughs> of this position? Oh my goodness. Well, first of all, <laughs> first of all, I'm an introvert. So I'll, I'll be very brief on this matter. Um, but, you know, I, I really, um, I enjoy home life and family life. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a, a daughter and a rabbit named Groundhog and um, I get a tremendous amount of joy just hanging out with them. Yeah. Um, I like to bake. And I like to sketch and paint. Um, I've really been focusing lately on watercolors. Uh, that's something we didn't know. So it's it's awesome. <laughs> um, uh, Teresa, why and how did you get to this ministry? Um, uh, like you went to law school. Uh, did Were you thinking you will do this job uh, when you were there? How, how did you get into ministry uh, with, with your type of, of career? 
Well, I went to law school, and um, I, I wasn't thinking at all about immigration law. Yeah. Um, I do, however, have a certain kind of bent or um, focus or goal through my work, um, and it's kind of it's based on actually um, Isaiah fifty eight ten. Um, which says, feed the hungry and help those in trouble, then your light will shine out from the darkness and the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. And so I always wanted my career, whatever it looked like in the law, to kind of reflect that. Um, that um, that particular Bible verse is part of a larger section where yeah. God is explaining um, how, like what kinds of worship God finds pleasing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And so I consider my work to be a form of worship. And I actually went to law school to be a public defender. And I did that for many years out in Eastern Kentucky. Wow. Um, And it was um, a a very um, life-changing, growing kind of experience Mm -hmm. for me. But I came to a point um, where I was ready to look at other things. And I remembered that while I was in law school— that I had done all of my public service hours at Catholic Charities, and I had helped um, a lot of people fill out their naturalization papers and had gone to naturalization ceremonies and had found that all very meaningful. So I actually took a year off work and just volunteered at the Catholic Charities offices and learned immigration law. And um, then while I was doing that, I was also getting my master's in spirituality through a program that is shared or was shared by the Louisville Presbyterian Theological Seminary and Bellarmine University. And that's where I learned more about the Presbyterian Church um, and their offices in Louisville and the positions that they have and um, got to know some folk who work there. And so when this position became available Mm -hmm. and I was informed of it, um, I was interested and, and ready to apply. Wow. That's a journey. That's a big <laughs> journey. That's awesome. <laughs> how, how does the process to call someone uh, that lives in another country uh, to come here and serve, um, how does that start? Well, hopefully it starts um, with a little a little <laughs> more decently and in order than it used to. I mean, folk mm-hmm. literally, um, the, the beneficiaries, the religious workers who were coming would would mimic what they saw as a PIF um, and right. would create those and just kind of send them out to different congregations who they had learned were in the search process. <clears throat> and they would do that without necessarily having any sort of connection with the presbytery. Um, <laughs> and so yes. sometimes, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. <laughs> I did trainings so, on that. <laughs> So sometimes, you know, um, I would I would get a call from a congregation that was super excited mm-hmm. um, about this person that they had met, but no work had been done to make sure that that this person could actually become, you know, a minister member right. in Presbytery. Um, and 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 that's a really hard conversation to have once you know a PNC has gotten really invested. Yeah. Um, and so now I hope. That with um, the new CLC mm-hmm. and the ability for people outside of the United States who aren't PCUSA to contact presbyteries and create PIFs, that um, we'll see a little more order <laughs> in that, and that, that I won't have so many of those conversations yeah. um, that I used to have before. Yeah, and and at least the changes that we've done to CLC um, before you you would 
do a PIF and then you will get it tested. So people could actually have a PIF uh, without having an account, and that was a problematic. So that changed now. And uh, But presbyteries can definitely have a blank form of a PDP now and, and send it to them and say, hey, uh, fill this out and we will um, manage this through... The presbytery ways uh, that we could do that. So that, that's a great way. And yes, uh, just as you said, sometimes PNCs um, do the interviews and everything, and they're ready to call someone that the presbytery doesn't even know. And it's important uh, for PNCs to know that the first contact in any, at least in in any consideration of someone outside of the presbytery or outside the denomination, uh, should start with the presbytery, just because the presbyteries have different bodies and everything like that. So thanks for that. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's important to emphasize that. Um, can you tell us uh, how how many uh, people are serving right now uh, with us? Uh, do you have any stats that you can share with us? Sure. I can do that. Um, so now I have, you know, like I said, I have a, a caseload of, that's a variety of, of different individuals. But those people who are are serving um, as minister members, whether temporary or installed, um, in different presbyteries, there are are twenty three people right now who are here um, as temporary non immigrant religious workers, and they have thirty family members alongside of them. Oh. And that is in 21 different presbyteries. So, um, so when you say families, you you do the visa uh, or, or you do uh, all the arrangements for everybody, not just the person that's coming to work. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. So a religious worker would come on an R1 visa and they are they come and they're able to work for the congregation or presbytery that mm-hmm. has petitioned for them. And then um, if they have a spouse or... Unmarried children under the age of 21, those individuals can accompany them on an R2 visa. And so I, I make sure that everybody um, is in status so that, you know, people are living full and happy, healthy lives. You know, they've yeah. got their people with them. Of course, those uh, permissions will give them um, all the abilities to study in, in, in the districts and things like that, right? That's right. That's right. Um, R2 visas for the family members do not allow them to work, but they do allow them to be here mm-hmm. and to also go to school. That's good to know. And if the spouse would like to work, what what arrangements can they do? Is there a way to... Um, they have to come up with another visa. So while they're okay. here, they would get to know um, employers uh-huh. and um, try to make some sort of arrangement with them to, be, to have the, that employer petition for them or... And the alternative, if they transition from a religious worker R2 visa to um, an F1 student visa, if they have any reason to you know, want to go to school, right. then um, there will come a point in their student visa status where they can start to work on campus and then they can also work off campus with curricular practical training. So, so there are ways um, for spouses who are interested in also maintaining employment to do so. It just takes some extra steps. Um, so, 75% of my caseload that is um, folks serving out in the presbyteries um, are religious workers who are serving in a very traditional model. They're full-time um, pastors, and they're either temporary or installed minister members of presbytery. Um, and within that 75% of my caseload, 
Um, 68% are serving in established dominant culture congregations. And when I say that, I mean like U.S.-born congregations. Okay. And the other 31% um, are serving in language-based congregations. And um, 53% of those individuals are women and 47% are men. Oh, wow. You know, I obviously, you know, the, the main reason that I was hired is to make sure that folk are in their um, immigration statuses and able to serve um, as yeah. they feel called by God to do and as, as the the PNCs and the COMs and everybody else feel, you know, God is calling them to do for mission and ministry. Um, but I do like to also have conversations when um, I'm assisting mm-hmm. about how we can all live um, good and healthy lives together. Yeah. And um, I say that because, you know, I'll go back to that stat. Um, 68% are serving in established dominant culture congregations. And um, what that means is that we've got pastors um, who are in a country that is not their original home. They're working in a congregation with a different culture than their own. And for the most part, with a membership who's never had to worry about immigration status themselves. Yes. Um, And congregations are always excited at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Presbyteries are always excited at the beginning. But, you know, things can happen around cultural misunderstandings and, and complications with immigration paths that can cause problems in relationships. Yes. Um, and so I like to ask congregations and presbyteries, you know, what kind of tools do they have in their toolkit for when these things come up? Because, you know, you can expect that they will. Um, there are always misunderstandings and relationships mm-hmm. between human beings. Right. And it's really easy if, if we haven't done some work ahead of time and aren't aware of how we operate in the world to um, begin to explain those misunderstandings by saying, oh, it, it's that person's culture, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and not maintain a curiosity and be brave and um, ask questions in right. in a, a, a non-confrontational sort of way mm-hmm. um, to really actually get to the heart of, of what those misunderstandings are. Um, and that can manifest itself in, in many different ways. Right. I have, over my 11 years working um, in this position, I've, I've heard some about some folk doing some rather disappointing things. Um, for instance, one immigrant pastor had a member come up to them and say, you know, your kids aren't doing very well being so different in the school system. Maybe this isn't the right call for you. Hmm. Um, that wow. kind of, and you know, yeah. that kind of lack of community support mm-hmm. for the children and the family, it, it also expresses itself in ways within the actual faith community too, right? Because, you know, members of the community, when they pass away, they might, you know, call upon a congregation to, you know, do the funeral for them, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I've also um, had um, instances where where members begin to question their decision mm-hmm. to choose the person that they chose because they're getting feedback from the larger community that, you know, oh, we're not going to have, um, you know, this person's funeral at the Presbyterian church because no mm. one can understand the pastor's accent. Yeah. Um, and those are the sorts of things that can add up over time when, um, if we've done some thinking ahead of time, um, and in particular, if we've 
done something like go through the um, intercultural development inventory that um, that we offer uh, through Mid Council Ministries to Presbyteries. Um, if we've had a chance to really think about. Um, our own culture yeah. and how we operate in the world because of that culture mm-hmm. and then how um, other, you know, how to ask questions and be curious about other people and their right. culture, then then those things don't become this massive insurmountable issue mm-hmm. because we're all, we all are capable, we all have the tools we need to, to talk through things and to figure out how to maintain and be faithful right. to where we felt God was calling us when we first made that call. So uh, with that resource that you're, that you're sharing with us right now, um, is that something that you meet with a church, you meet with a presbytery uh, or a session? What kind of, of, of information do you give with them? I ask questions about, well, you're going to bring your kids in this community. Do you think, you know, the school system will be very welcoming? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're, you know, how how what kind of conversations have you all had around you know bringing um a woman um in um or right. bringing you mm-hmm. know somebody in from another country um and 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 do you feel like your community is is ready for um you know the intercultural work that's going to come in with building those healthy relationships that you all are going to need um and and then i tell them about you know If you don't have these things, um, think about how you can build up Mm -hmm. your toolkit, um, how you can rely on presbytery, um, or, you know, how you can look to the national offices um, about with, you know, the intercultural development inventory. Um, I'm definitely not the specialist on, on how to figure out how to build those things. I only know to ask the questions Mm -hmm. so that people are thinking about how to build that toolkit and and be ready for maintaining healthy relationships. And and we do have a resource uh, if they're asking about um, advocacy on immigrant issues. um, Can you share a little bit more about Amanda? Sure, absolutely. Um, You know, the path, um, there's, you know, for instance, there's a path for religious workers, right? Yes. (laughs) But that path doesn't, um, and you know, and it's, it's, Mm -hmm clearly written in the law, but that doesn't mean that just because it's written in the law that everything goes smoothly. Um, and it, it's that way for, you know, a lot of just general members of congregations as well. Maybe they're here seeking asylum. Maybe they arrived as refugees. Right. Maybe they arrived um, as immigrant workers. Um, and they're all on their own respective paths, mm-hmm. right? Um, but just because the law says there is a path doesn't mean that it will go smoothly and it doesn't mean that um, it won't change right in the middle of the path. Right. Um, so we've got folk who could be doing everything right and doing it all at the right time and things still fail them and they end mm. up out of status or in between statuses or, you know, they're waiting for their new status to come about and they their driver's license has been... <laughs> expire because they don't have current proof of status and all sorts of really stressful situations. And and that is where Amanda Kraft comes in. Um, She is the manager of advocacy. Mm -hmm. And to the extent that our laws and policy and immigration fail us, which they often do, um, she is able to walk alongside of congregations and give them information about how to 
advocate for individuals who are stuck in those situations, um, you know, to Congress people, mm-hmm. um, and also to just advocate to have those laws and policies changed. Um, it, it's just too easy mm-hmm. to end up stuck in between statuses right. or to just fall out of status, even if you're working really hard at it. Thank you for that. Um, so uh, you talked already about uh, some of the needs of the families and, and the workers that are coming. So what is the adaptation issue that you've heard uh, the most that is necessary um, to give the support uh, to the workers and the families uh, by the Presbytery and others around them in the community? Um, the kids in school is a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, and a lot of the 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 dominant culture congregations that are calling immigrant pastors are are um, in smaller towns, mm-hmm. um, and perhaps um, within the population of that smaller town, there there's nobody that that looks like they do or has the accent that they do. Um, so knowing um, that you need to be ready to help those parents advocate within the school system so that their kids can feel safe mm-hmm. and, and their kids can receive the same education that everybody else does yeah. um, is, is very important. So, so you know, if there's somebody in the congregation who has that sort of connection with the school system, who can, who can help the parents figure out this, this new place and, and this new school system, Um, for their kids, that's, I think, extremely important because it is really hard as a parent mm-hmm. to stick with a job, even if you think it's the right one for you, if you see your kids suffering. Yes. And, and we don't want that. Um, we, we want the pastor to be called to feel like they can remain where they are. Um, and then I think also the spouse. I mean, like I said before, on an R2, which is mm-hmm. what the spouse will have, um, They don't get to work, and and yes, there are paths that could possibly lead them to work. But those, you know, take some time to figure out the right connections within the community to make those happen. Um, and a lot of people just aren't happy accompanying their partner for multiple years while yeah. they've made this decision. Right? Um, they they want to have some agency of their own in the mm-hmm. world. Um, and, and so, and if, if they just moved here, um, if they weren't already here as a student um, or anything else, if, if they didn't remain here to be on that R2 status, uh, then you've also got just the cultural differences too. And that can lead to, you know, I kind of identity issues yeah. with someone who, who knew exactly who they were and what they were going to do in their home country. And, and now they're here and, and they can't work and, and they're seen in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> so the, those, those are just things to, to, to keep in mind. Um, and so that you can support and walk alongside of, of, you know, the family. Um, so it, it is, it's definitely the, the pastor and, and their status and the family and their status, but also just how are you ready to help these folk walk in this new world that, that you've invited them into? Right. And, and the spouses, uh, at least uh, people that I know, uh, are usually involved in ministries while they're on that journey uh, in mm-hmm. ministry together. Um, getting a little bit technical, 
Um, how long is the religious work visa or, or, or the R1? Uh, can you talk a little bit more about that, how the technicalities of, of it? Sure, sure. Um, when I apply for someone's first R1 visa, mm -hmm. it can be approved for up to two and a half years. Okay. And then it can be renewed once for another two and a half years. But if that individual still wants to remain in the United States and on a religious worker visa after that five-year mark, um, they, they can't do so. In order to remain in ministry and have another R, they would have to leave the United States, be gone for an entire calendar year before they came back into wow. the United States on another R. Um, so for mm -hmm. folk who do find themselves in the position where they feel that um, they are called mm -hmm. to remain in ministry in the United States and the, the ministry in which they're serving agrees, um, we have to figure out a path for them. And, and there is a possible path to a green card mm -hmm. um, within that scenario, but... We are um, at a place right now, like I said before, about, you know, you've got an immigration path and you're on it and then it changes. Well, things right. changed and they changed a whole lot just in April of this year. And what when I, I used to be able to within that five year period that people are allowed to remain, I used to be able to get them a green card within that five year period. Mm -hmm. That's now impossible because the immigrant visas for religious workers are so dramatically backlogged. Um, It will take about eight to ten years for the average religious worker to get their green card based on their work, which begs the question, what do you do if you have this non-immigrant status that, you know, tops out at year five and you've still got several years to wait to get that green card? Um And I, I do my best to keep people in alternate mm -hmm. non-immigrant statuses, right. but this is also where Amanda's work comes in mm -hmm. as extremely important, which is we need to be asking questions about that backlog and, and why we have created the system where people can only remain in the United States for five years, but that green card that they can get is eight to 10 years down the line. That is basically wow. an impossible situation, right? Wow. Um, so can we even call the path a path anymore? Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? I mean, there are big questions there. Um, and the reason why the backlog is as dramatic as it is, mm -hmm. is because um, religious workers who are get their immigrant visas, their green cards through employment, mm -hmm. so they're employment-based immigrants, share their immigrant visas with a group of humanitarian immigrants, hmm. um, specifically with special immigrant juveniles. And special immigrant juveniles are kids who find themselves in the United States, but they are abused and neglected, and they, they go through the court system to prove that they're abused and neglected. Oh. And, and so they're found to be dependent um, and in state care. Um, so they cannot be returned to their parents. And there is a path for those children mm -hmm. based on that finding to get a green card as well. Um, back in 1990, when the government created that system, mm -hmm. it seemed natural for them to place those two immigrant visa categories, the workers and the children, in the same space. But now the needs of the children are just so great. Yeah. Um, and the restrictions on immigrant worker visas and, and the number that can be given out each year is just so small 
that it, it's not serving anyone. Um, humanitarian immigrants mm-hmm. need to have a program that allows them to expand and contract over time as needs arise. Um, because, you know, these kids need a safe place to be. Mm-hmm. And to subject them to the worker visa categories and the restrictions of worker visa categories is, is just unfair on them. And it's also created a problem with our religious workers who now cannot get their immigrant visas for, for many, many years. Um, and wow. Amanda is working hard yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> to um, have conversations with people and get them involved to try to change the law and get those kids out of that immigrant visa category where they can be in a space that, that where they can have their needs yeah. met and religious workers yes. can continue to serve and work in our congregations as they feel God is calling them to do. Yeah, wow. That's... Um... I don't want to say a mess, but that's a really uh, difficult thing uh, for for both, for the workers and for the kids. If you mm-hmm. have a certain number each year that you can give out, uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, I mean, it's yeah. uh, both. N- and that number, that number hasn't yeah. changed since 1990, which My is another question, God. right? <laughs> I mean, think about how long ago that was, uh. right? You know, I mean, I was graduating from high school in 1990. The world was such a different place in 1990. Um, The idea that we can't imagine that maybe we need to increase that number as well. Um, But also, why why do we have a group of humanitarian migrants stuck with the restrictions of an immigrant worker category at all? With people like Amanda and the job that she does, uh, how can we support her and her job also? (laughs) <laughs> as presbyteries or, or like is there something we can do like write letters or something mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, our congress is at a point right now where I don't know that um, you know the average mm-hmm. sign on letters is, is really the way to go um, I think human to human kind of contact and right. relationship building is what is going to be very important at this point That's great. Um, I think that religious workers and special immigrant juveniles who are abused and neglected children um, are are both groups of people who who should just universally be cared for by a wide number of the membership of Congress. But they hear the words immigration and right. they get really nervous and they pick their side. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the only way I think to overcome that is with the relationship building. And so this would involve, you know, people being willing to make the district visits with their congressperson Mm -hmm. and let them know, hey, this is happening in my faith community and this is happening with these poor children. Right. Um, And and, and let's work on changing it. Um, And and here's why we care. And, you know, we're Mm -hmm. voters in, in your community. And here's why we think you should care. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. just visit, and then visit again, and visit again, <laughs> right? And, 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 and really build yeah. that relationship. Right. You know, don't don't think of them as like a, a you know, <clears throat> you know, this person that you just need to make say yes, yes right? Um, yeah, right. And, and plan on being there for the long haul and, and getting to know yes. them. And I, I think with. I know that many of our listeners and their presbyterians have a mission commitment uh, with immigrants, uh, with with these uh, kids, and also um, with the communities that they have, and they need these workers. Showing how the Presbyterian Church is working with both um, communities, 
that are affected mm-hmm. by this, uh, that, that can be part of that uh, contact, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, in particular, for, for those um, groups within um, a presbytery, whether it's, um, you know, um, an, an immigration um, committee at a congregation or, or whether it's a, a larger presbytery-wide commitment to working mm-hmm. on immigration issues, um, those are the folk who, who are probably in the best position to begin building those relationships or to continue with the relationships that they've already started and start talking specifically about um, the the problems that are facing our religious workers and these um, children who have been abused and neglected and, and need stability and status in the United States. So showing our mission, showing what we have done uh, will definitely be part of that um, conversations that we need to have. Uh, for these laws to change, at least. Teresa, to summarize everything, and, and what I uh, would like our listeners to to gather uh, of, our, of all our conversation, of course, could you say, uh, if my presbytery is considering a position or someone for a position in a church, in a new worship community, in a, in a position that we have created that is directed uh, for someone to come from another country or uh, probably someone that is in the country right now and would like to work there. Um, they have either a visa or a green card. Uh, what are the three more most important things as uh, me as a mid-council leader that I need to know to start this calling process? Mm-hmm. Well, if they have a green card, they're already authorized to work, so they won't need to call me. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't stop, um, you know, other issues coming about, like I talked about, you know, intercultural competency and 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 working on you know being more open to to those sorts of dialogues um, to maintain relationship um, if if they're here and they will need a change of status um, I'm around I'm around to look at what status they're already on to determine whether they will need a change of status um, and what are the possibilities based on the job description that we could possibly look at for that person? Um, so please, please, please call, um, you know, send me an email yes. and, and <laughs> ask me questions. That that's what I'm here for. Um, I, don't, I don't want us to have communities where workers are serving and have fallen out of status mm-hmm. um, yes. and are, you know, at risk. Um, I want to do what we can to, to keep the, the people who are serving in our faith communities in status so that they can enjoy the same stability that, that the membership um, has as well. Exactly. Uh, um, I would say the most important thing is you don't have to hire another lawyer. The PCUSA <laughs> oh, no, has a that's lawyer true. for you. Um, yeah. And that, that's one way that, that we're, yeah. we are real rock stars um, as a denomination. <laughs> right? Seriously. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, my my position and, and the services that I offer mm-hmm. are paid for with per capita dollars. Yes. So you don't have to pay attorney fees um, for these applications. Um, you will have to spend some time with me and you will have to mm-hmm. send some documents to me and we will have to pay um, a fee to the government for their processing. Uh, but, but that, um, the, the immigration, the immig- immigration lawyer fees um, will not be a concern. That's amazing. I, I didn't know that about my denomination until I got here. <laughs> That's amazing. That's a great, uh, a great thing. So the presbytery will be your client, the church will be your client, and mm-hmm. the person will be your client. That's right. That's right. The people coming, the, the, the pastor and their family, they are also my client. 
That's amazing. Thank you so much, Sarita, for everything you're doing, you have done, and you're going to do. Because it's, uh, uh, it's definitely not something that everybody thinks about when going to law school. <laughs> But when God is calling, I mean, uh, this ministry is amazing. Uh, and, and I bet it has its highs and it has its lows. So I know um, uh, all the things that could go wrong, go wrong. And everything that goes right, goes right sometimes. Yeah, I love it when people send me photos of their installation. Oh, my gosh. That's so fantastic. <laughs> well, I love it when they first call me and let me know they've made it past custom and border protection at the airport. And then I love it when, you know, a few weeks later, um, I get photos of their installation. It's fantastic. I, I, I enjoy this ministry. Okay. Um, it's, it, yeah. It, it's good to work with such remarkable people yeah. and see their faithfulness. How, how can people contact you? Do I actually give like, my email out? Your email, just... yeah. You can, okay, you can all right. <laughs> okay, so, so most people reach out to me um, by email. Um, and it's just my name. So Teresa, T-E-R-E-S-A, um, and then dot Wagoner. And Wagoner's really long. It's W-A-G-G-E-N-E-R at pcusa.org. That's great. We're going to share in the descriptions of the podcast just so everybody has uh, the availability to to get the email. Uh, mm -hmm. Teresa, thank you so much for being with us. And uh, this has definitely been, uh, a, a, at least in, in my part, eye-opener on these issues and the vision of the Presbyterian Church to look at other people around the world that are willing to serve the communities that that have come to the United States and, and God has given us the opportunity to serve them. So mm -hmm. thank you so much, Teresa. Thank you. It's been great to be here. From our foundations, we can see that the church is to be a community of hope, rejoicing in the sure and certain knowledge that in Christ, God is making a new creation. This new creation is a new beginning for human life and for all things. The church lives in the present on the strength of that promised new creation. The church is to be a community of love where sin is forgiven, reconciliation is accomplished, and the dividing walls that we have created of hostility are torn down. The church is to be a community of witness, pointing beyond itself through word and work to the good news of God's transforming grace in Christ Jesus the Lord. With all Christians of the church, Catholic, apostolic, we affirm that the church is one, holy. You can find this quote at F1.0301 and 02. These are part of the marks of the church, that it's not about nationality. It's about who God is calling. And probably crossing borders and probably getting visas will be part of that ministry. We are thankful to be one of the denominations that have lawyers available to serve the church. Jesus asked those who were around him, who behaved like the neighbor? Who was really the neighbor for this person? They were afraid to admit the nationality of that person. In Christ, our nationality belongs to the kingdom of heaven. So, who do you need to help along the road? 
Thank you for being with us. This has been the Along the Road podcast. We look forward to crossing paths with you again soon.